1: You can't be a one trick pony. You have to be a five tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody,
1: welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. Mr. Kyle, how can I have Eric Garcia from Nolens on the call? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eric, what's up, man?
2: What's happening? It's New Orleans, man. You know, you can only say Nolans if you're like trying to rhyme in a song, but like just the <laughs> general conversation. Uh, you know, uh,
1: when you I'm know. a rapper, I also use bap, bap, bap a lot. I noticed like Do you rap?
2: Record,
1: yeah, you know, just every now and again. But, you know, I learned that from Mr. 305. He has a lot of sound effects. <sighs> and he uses it because they rap with the prior verses.
2: A- 305, like as in Miami, 305, yeah, Eric. Okay. Yeah, Mr. Worldwide. Oh, Pitbull. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah it's funny um that guy's actually really successful outside of being a rapper like he's a legit like investor business guy it's sort of mind-blowing actually
2: yeah he's like the the kanye of of rap or reggaeton yeah i don't know i don't know if,
1: i'd like to see a celebrity death match between pitbull and kanye that would be pretty cool
3: like pitbull just a throw in the tiny guy and go at it He's short. Yeah,
1: I feel like I feel like Pitbull would bring the streets and Kanye bring the crazy, so it'd actually be a really good fight.
2: It'd yeah. be like a dance off, dude. Like it'd be like like <laughs> like West Side Story, like, in, it's like, uh, like West Side Story,
1: or Daddy's Home. Isn't that the movie with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg where they're competing oh, for yes. the attention of the yeah. kids, and they get to the dance, and Mark Wahlberg is like looks like he's getting ready to get in a fist fight with the other father at the dance, and he ends up going into a dance off.
2: Yeah. yeah, classic.
1: That's one of my best
2: yeah. moves. Pitbull's Cuban.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Yeah, he's got that too.
3: He's got that guy. He's that's also a, that's more of like thing. a pop star, not really a rapper. But
1: didn't he used to have dreads when he first came up?
3: No I way.
1: Know. I think he did. If we Google him, I'm
3: that looking there. that up right now. I
1: don't think he was always bald, man. There was a rapper way back when, and I want to say they said it was Pitbull, and he had dreads when he first started. Anyhow, Me. Eric, listen, man, we're not we're not oh talking about. Oh my god,
2: this. dude, he does. Yeah. See. He's got that reggaeton. That's a reggaeton. That's that, that's that, uh, that's probably that influence. Right <laughs> dude, this is incredible.
1: See, that's the kind of worthless knowledge I carry around in my head every day that allows <laughs> me to relate to anybody at the point of sale.
3: Yeah, dude. I don't even know what he looks like. He almost looks like, uh, Malibu's most, mo- most wanted mixed with Sean Paul. Okay. That's awesome.
1: That means absolutely nothing to me. Anyhow, Eric, listen, we got a lot to talk about. Um, Why don't you start with telling everybody where you're, where you're from and kind of what you're doing now. And then we're going to dive in because there's a lot of meat.
2: Yeah, man. I am uh, from New Orleans, born and raised in the 504. Um, I love it here, man. Like it's, it's New Orleans is one of those cities. um, We we call it, we refer to it as the northernmost port in the Caribbean. So if you look (laughs) at New Orleans, if you look at New Orleans as an American city, you'll, you'll be uh, disappointed regularly because it's just, you know, it's, it's like a, kind of borderline third world country. But if you look at it as the northernmost port of the Caribbean city, you will be uh, pleased at every turn. Um, I'll tell you what,
1: man, I think new Orleans. It, it's been a while since I've been there. So I've not been there. I don't, th- I mean, it's been a really long time. I've, I don't think I've been <laughs> to new Orleans since Katrina, like since pre Katrina. Yeah. So I remember, I remember going and I know some of this got affected when the storm hit, but I remember going and just thinking about how, what, I mean, Every city's kind of the same. You've got your bad parts, you've got your good parts, you got your history, and you've got your problems and all of that. But I thought it was really cool just to take the trolley ride through the Garden District street out car.
2: there. We have streetcars in New Orleans, man. Streetcars.
1: I call them trolleys, streetcar, whatever. I took the uh, conveyance from the uh, you know Bourbon Street area or whatever down through the Garden District. Just the architecture and the landscaping of the homes and. All of that stuff I thought was really, really yeah. cool. New, or- New Orleans has had – it has some influence in Florida too. I mean I don't know if you've ever been to Key West or not, but uh, New Orleans er, has, has some um, influence on the way Key West is set up too. So yeah, I've never
2: been to Key West. It. But but the thing about New Orleanians is when they leave New Orleans, they bring New Orleans with them. Yeah. The and, that, and that's the thing about New Orleans. I mean the culture, it, it, it kind of like gets inside of you. Uh, man, the food, the music, um, it's hot as hell. Yeah. Hurricanes suck, but, um,
1: not a bad food scene by any stretch. Oh man, no,
2: man. The food's great. So anyway, yeah. So I'm from new Orleans, but I am born to Cuban parents. So like I get the best of like maybe, um, maybe the best of the, the two best cultures, food cultures in the entire world. I know that that's, a uh, a, a matter of opinion there, but, but man, I get New Orleans music, Cuban music, Cuban food, New Orleans food, and here I am. So my dad my dad, grew, I grew up in the insurance industry. My dad was a captive, still is actually. So I grew up in the industry here in New Orleans. And um, unlike most, probably early on, kind of the dream was I was always going to work with my dad and run his agency. I might be the only, well, probably not the only one, but a few of the agents who knew that they were going to be a, an agent person, an insurance person at a very young age. But man, when I was in college, um, I started shifting more to the financial side. Man, I started uh, had a couple experiences at the business school at Tulane uh, with a couple of professors that I got really interested on the in the investment business. Um, long story short, ended up working with my dad, or actually I was a separate agent for a couple years, and we joined forces. And then in '04, um, I started handling all the life insurance and and investment. And then Katrina hit. And it kind of pulled me back into the PNC side, right? For like nine solid months, it's just handling claims. I mean, it was it was it was a nightmare, man. Um, and then, kind of after coming out of that a little bit, I got back on the investment side, and then eventually in 2008, I left the I left the insurance business completely in 2008. Uh, went on the investment side. Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of um, more, I would say, more life insurance production. And building out the investment business, and then in 2010, uh, the company my dad represented—I mean, they—they they had stopped writing post Katrina, and he was starting to lose a lot of clients. And I had relationships with these people, and they were walking out the door. And I'm like, "Man, this is like, this is like dollars, you know, leaking out the door." I know these people. I know the insurance industry. And then my brother ended up moving back to New Orleans, and that's when we started the independent agent uh, agency in 2010. So I kind of was like the business end. Um, put all the contracts in place while well, my brother and my current business partner, Giovanni were just like the workhorses, man. They just wrote, sat at a desk and just wrote a ton of, of insurance. Um, cause we had, a, I mean, we had, you know, my dad was in the business for, you know, I think we're going on 35, 40 years now. So he had a ton of just relationships with centers of influence. So we just wrote a ton of business early on. Um, and then my brother eventually left the business and that kind of made me have to get back involved a little bit more in the day to day in the operational side. And I'm almost at a point where um, you know, we've touched about every process in the business and I'm moving less out of the operational side. I don't sell, I haven't sold a policy in man, I don't know, probably like ten plus years probably. Um I don't know. It's been, yeah, it's been forever, forever long. But just on the operational side, the processing side, the strategy side, the vision side, that's kind of where where I live in play. Um, in the in the agency side, but yeah, my the heart and soul of what I do is investment management and financial planning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's good for your skill set and what I know about you, right? I mean, I think you could be a really good agent, but um, producers don't necessarily reflect the level of detail in most cases that you reflect. So you're kind of a fish out of water like we we like to just freaking run and gun and I know you're a detail guy. So you know it's, you can it's probably funny. take a bunch, you can probably take a bunch of business from me um just by paying attention to details but it it's interesting. I think you I think you're you're doing the right thing man where you're at.
2: But you got to be passionate about what you do and like uh, I mean the insurance doesn't get me revved up. I like I like business. I like entrepreneurship. I like building businesses. That that's fun. That gets me excited doing insurance doesn't excite me. Um, to me, and I think I heard you, um, saying one of your podcasts, you're, you're an opportunist, right? If there's an opportunity, you're going to stop and say, Hey, wait a minute. Is there an opportunity here for me to make money? I, I own an independent insurance agency because, Hey, there was an opportunity. Um, I'm really good at, at networking. I'm really good at building relationships. I'm really good at vision and strategy. And this was an opportunity that I knew I could have success in and you know as as a financial planner you know when i when i sit back and look at you know when i look at my finances or i look at my long term financial plan you know i look at not the agency as i'm an independent insurance agency owner i look at it as hey i've got a i've got a a large investment a large part of my net worth is in this private business which happens to be an insurance agency and i know that i can grow it and at some point in the future this asset that i'm growing Is going to be the seed money, if you will, to help fund retirement income or not even retirement. Like, I don't even like talking about retirement because to me, like, retirement, we need to rethink how we talk about retirement in this country. Um, It's just do what you want to do and not have to worry about getting paid for it. Right. You're still engaging in work. And I just, I'm not in the grind, man. I don't have to. To wake I don't up see.
1: And, yeah, I don't see that I'll ever retire. I just think I'll go on a real long vacation and not come back from it.
2: But, but maybe, like maybe, like you know, like there's like ten. Like here, here's what I see you doing. Like you're like there's ten agencies that I really agency owners that I really like. I like hanging out with them, and I like traveling. And I'm gonna fly them into Key West once a year. And I'm gonna consult them. You know, they're gonna come in. They're gonna ask me questions. I'm gonna give them answers. I enjoy it. It's fun. I don't care if I make a few bucks because you know you've been wise and you've planned for your income right you're still engaged you're still you're still using your mind but you're it's just the grind man it's the the you know I need to wake up every morning I got three kids I've got a mortgage I need to wake up every morning I need to keep generating revenue I need to keep growing my income um i can't I can't stop right so the idea is at some point um you know, and, and something that, that I'm talking a lot more about, and I know we're going to get into is the end game. Like, Hey, what's the end game at what point can I say? And even, even as you have more success and you've probably experienced this, David and anyone listening, who's been, who's been at it for, I would say like, let's say 10 years, right? You've built a business, you have, you have some staff, you've started to notice that you have more and more freedom, right? You don't have to show up before everyone else. You don't have to stay later than everyone else. You might not work weekends anymore. Um, you can, you have a little bit more freedom. You still have to show up. You still have to obviously operate and manage a business, but you have a little bit more freedom, um, and that's that end game. Is man, you don't have to the, is getting out of that grind, the rat race, this the, the the pressure of having to show up every day. Is yeah, I think I think part of that too is
1: the the expectation is set for other people that you're not going to be available twenty four seven at their back and call, you know, and not that you wouldn't be, but not that you would be, you wouldn't be available for normal routine things that people tend to steal your time for. Right. To me, that's where the pressure comes from, right? Right now, if I take any time off and one of my clients has an issue, um, guess who they call, you know, right. regardless of where I'm at, guess who they email, even though I ask that they, go to an account manager or someone else, it's always going to be my phone. And I think that once you get to that season of your career, even if you do stay engaged, a lot of the pressure gets relieved because the expectation of other people isn't that you're always the one that they have to deal with at that point.
2: Yeah, for me, the, the pressure on the, on the insurance side, it's not so much the client comments. I mean, I don't think there's any client other than like personal friends or family uh, will will call me, and every time like I get the, the email or the text, it's like, oh, why are you asking me this? Don't get me involved, um, right? It's like, hey, we need to change a car out. I'm like, why are you calling me? You know I have a staff. Don't call me. You just got me involved, and, and now I'm like responsible, like because I'm the type of person. If you if you if you put something on my plate to do, then like I have to make sure it gets done. Like I, I can't right. rest, even if I even if I delegate it to someone else, because I feel responsible for it. So the pressure for me on the PNC side. It's not clients tracking me down or clients calling me. It's, you know, first of all, my name is on the business. So there's a, there's a sense of like excellency. Like I, I I don't want things to be done half ass and I want to make sure that they're done right. I want to make sure that my producers are calling people back. I want to make sure that endorsements are getting done. So for me, it's more of a systems and a process standpoint of like, Hey, are y'all, are we doing things correctly? Um, I don't. The the worst is when a client leaves and you find out that they left because we haven't talked to them in two years. I'm like, well, I don't mm-hmm. blame them for leaving. I'd leave too, right? Um, so that that's the pressure for me is is just knowing that I have ownership. A large part of my, you know, long term, you know, finances is tied up in the, in the business. I want it done right. I want it done uh, with, with with a high level of of excellency, um, and I just want people to be treated well. Early on, in my financial planning career, I worked with a business coach, and he would always talk about um, creating experiences so that people would talk about you behind your back positively. He goes, "Those are the type of those are the type of clients and centers of influence that you want. So make sure you're investing in those people, so that they're talking positively about your back behind your back, right? Not just in front of you. Like, hey, this is my friend David. all. Oh, he's really good at what he does. Like, I want." Uh, I want those people who I, I'm not there, and they're like, "Oh man, my financial advisor Eric, like the dude's baller, man. He's like, he's he's on, he's on the, he's on the ball. Like, he just called me up just to check in on my accounts. And man, when the market dropped, they they made some moves for me, and and it really protected me from the downside. And I I can sleep at night, even though it's 2020, and who the hell knows what's going to happen next. Seriously? Um, you know, that's what I want. That that's what I'm working for that that's kind of what I wake up. That's the experience that I'm looking to deliver um, to people. So the burden for me is on the property and casualty side, which is such a high maintenance, high volume, especially our operation. Um it's just it's just the constant man. There's like, you know, all these policies renewing. Are we doing it right? We have all these leads coming in. Are we calling them back fast enough? Like why haven't we called this person? And um that, that, is it that's it mostly personal line? lines? Yeah, you know, our agency has traditionally been personal lines. However, um, my business partner, Giovanni, has just been crushing the commercial lately. Like, he's probably, our our main commercial producer left earlier this year, and Gio stepped in. And I think he's probably, I don't know, written over, you know, 50%. More commercial of what we had on the books standing. There you go. So we we have we have really good relationships with accountants, uh, like on the financial side. I've got really good relationships with with certain CPAs. Um, we have a couple of uh, particularly Hispanic accountants that mm-hmm. can speak I can speak their language, not Spanish, but like the, the financial <laughs> language. Um, so you we read, have you read have... my
1: mind, man. I was going to ask you if you were
2: <laughs> I'm trilingual. Um, you know we have we have an office. Like a satellite office in an accountant's in an accountant's office mm, okay so we we have been getting there's probably we have probably about five or six really good relationships with with accountants so we're starting to get um a lot of their um i, I would say i would say if there's a, a niche that we're in it's hispanic contractors gotcha um, so we're starting to we're starting to grow um we're starting to grow that. in fact that was the one that Geo had you had you had talked to to Geo on David and and kind of give him gave him a little bit of advice on that one. Still working on that one. That might be a uh, you know a twelve a month runway. I think overall it's a you know two hundred thousand dollar case. I mean that that's a that's an enormous case for us. Um, so nice. So that's a, good to,
1: case. that's a good case for anybody, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you are.
3: For sure. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take so I, saw, I saw some of the stuff you sent over and you talked about the financial piece let's talk about that yeah. for a second what's what's the budget course what how did that come about you know why who's it for what's the deal yeah,
1: yeah I think but- one thing real quick let me let me set the table a little bit because mm-hmm. I I asked Eric to be on here based on a very specific conversation he and I had regarding how agents and specifically agency owners approach their net worth and how they manage their assets. And, um, I'm not surprised to find out that I'm in the majority or at least a large number who have a hundred percent of our net worth tied up in our agencies right now. Uh, that's, that's my retirement yeah. plan. I mean, if you want to talk about going all in, I'm all in man, I either make it or I don't. And so when people wonder why I'm as intense as what I am, now, you know, my entire legacy depends on me succeeding. And if I'm going to bet on anybody in the world, I'm going to bet on myself, obviously. But, you know, I also think that that leads to some problems. And, you know, we had talked about that. So I just wanted everybody who wondered where we were going with this conversation as we start diving into this to realize if you were wondering if you needed to hear this, chances are you probably do.
2: Yeah, here, here, here's, here's funny. You talk about having 100 percent of your net worth in your business, and if you're going to bet on anyone, you're going to bet on yourself. Here's a fascinating thing about risk. Okay, so a lot of, I mean, in the insurance world, right, we're managing risk, and the, on the financial side, um, you know, the biggest risk that I have to manage is stock market risk, right? If you're investing in the stock market, and and there's different types of risk. You know, you have individual company risk in the stock market. You have you have just kind of like the, the systemic risk of the stock market in general, the financial systems. There's inflation risk. Uh, you know, the risk of the the dollar losing value and all these things we have to manage, okay um, But the thing about risk is everyone's everyone's level of of comfort with risk is different, all right and the what makes someone comfortable with one risk and someone less comfortable with another risk typically has to do with how much they know and understand about that risk, right? You, you bet on yourself because you understand what you do better than anybody. If I didn't know anything about insurance, I'd say man that guy is crazy. He's got 100% of all of his eggs in one basket. He's got no diversification. There's no way I would have all my eggs in one basket, but you get it. I had a no lie, I had a conversation with a um um a commercial fisherman. This was probably like a year or two after the BP oil spill. I don't even remember what year that was. Maybe like in what 2011 me 10 11 it's been
1: 10 years man 10 i think years. we just had the 10 year anniversary of
2: it so it might have been like 2010 or, or 2009 crazy. so i'm meeting with this guy commercial fisherman okay and we're talking about a retirement account he was referred to me by an accountant and we're talking about the stock market and he's like man i don't want to i don't want to touch the stock market too much risk i said okay wh- what about it he's like man i, I don't want to you know 2008 everyone lost money too much risk i said okay cool um you're a commercial fisherman? Yeah, yeah. I said, all right, you have $100,000, all right? You can invest it in a brand new commercial fishing fleet in Southeast Louisiana, or we can invest it in a well-diversified investment portfolio. And I might have showed him a, a proposal or something. I said, which one are you more comfortable with? Man, he didn't hesitate. He said, man, a commercial fishing fleet. I said, right. okay, cool. Tell me, what are the obstacles or what are the challenges or what are the risks that as a commercial fisherman you face in Southeast Louisiana. And he kind of looked at me. I said, right, a storm can come through, right? One storm could, could totally impact the, the breeding patterns of, of the fish that you're fishing. It could totally, you know, crush their, their habitat, right? Now they're spawning out in, in, in Houston or in Galveston or in Texas, and they're not, they're not coming to our marshes or an oil spill, man, that, that, could, that could crush your business. And the point that I was driving home was, and I showed him a chart of the history of the stock market from a risk standpoint. There is way more risk in a commercial fishing operation than there is in the stock market. But he knew it; he was comfortable with it, and that's typical of business owners. We're comfortable with what we know. We know our businesses, and as a result, we tend to be um, we tend to have a, a a high concentration investment in one business, and we all know we should diversify. We all know we shouldn't have our eggs in one basket, but it's my business. I know it. So we, we, we look at that risk differently. Uh, so the conversation I had, real estate, real estate people are, are, and I had to learn early in my career. And and I probably, I, I failed many times trying to talk to real estate people about investments because typically real estate investors, real estate's the only way to invest. There's nothing else worth investing in. Um, and uh, I'm like, really? Like, so you have all your real estate in New Orleans, and then like a storm comes through, and then and then what? Right? Like, where's the diversification there? Right? You have no one renting from you. Like, what's up? That's that's kind of risky. But they know it, they understand it, and they're comfortable with it. That's how risk works. So, anyway, I, I, I digress.
1: No, I agree, man. I think you know I'm at a point now where I can start in the next 12 months, basically, I'm going to start not being 100% invested in the agency. I'm going to I'm gonna try and diversify as much as I can, whether that be, I don't know, I'm just give you the money and tell you to do whatever you need to do with it, honestly. But um, I need to get there. I mean, there's other vehicles that I need to have in place and make sure that everything in my portfolio is working the way that it's supposed to with each other and make sure that You know, all of our life insurance and everything is the way that it needs to be for the kids. And I mean, I don't want to sound morbid, but at the same time, I also don't want to bust my can for a number of years to build a sizable (laughs) asset and then not have anything to show for it other than that asset when I'm done. Right. I mean, look, I think. I read a lot of Tom Stanley stuff. You and I have talked about it before. I'm very well versed in the difference between being income statement rich and balance sheet rich, okay? I use that example all the time. And so I would tell you, I'm probably in the same boat that a lot of agency owners that you would talk to are in.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game.
1: Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself you're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment the prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you get it through your head you belong here go in there
0: crush it and close the deal a place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft
1: the difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes
0: Real results. It's no different than
1: being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody.
1: Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. Mr. Kyle, how can I have Eric Garcia from Nolens on the call? Yeah, yeah. Eric, what's up, man?
2: What's happening? It's New Orleans, man. You know, you can only say Nolens if you're like trying to rhyme in a song but like just a general conversation uh, you, know, you know
1: when i'm a rapper i also use bap 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 a lot i noticed like do you rap over, yeah you know just every now and again but you know i learned that from mr 305 he has a lot of sound effects and He uses it because they rap with the prior versus the a-
2: 305 like is it in miami 305 yeah, pitbull. Okay. yeah mr worldwide oh, pitbull yeah. oh my gosh
1: <laughs> yeah it's funny um that guy's actually really successful outside of being a rapper. Like, he's a legit like investor, business guy. It's sort of mind blowing, actually.
2: Yeah, he's like the the Kanye of of rap, a reggaeton. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, I'd, <laughs> like,
1: I'd like to see a celebrity death match between Pitbull and Kanye. That would be pretty cool. Pitbull
3: like just throw him the tiny guy, and go at it. Yeah, I
1: feel like I feel like Pitbull would bring the streets and Kanye bring the crazy, so it'd actually be a really good fight.
2: Yeah. It'd be like a dance off, dude. Like it'd be like like <laughs> like West Side Story, like, in, it's like, uh, like West Side Story,
1: or Daddy's Home. Isn't that the movie with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg where they're competing oh, for yes. the attention of the kids, yeah. and they get to the dance, and Mark Wahlberg is like looks like he's getting ready to get in a fist fight with the other father at the dance, and he ends up going into a dance off.
2: Yeah. yeah. Classic.
1: That's one of my best yeah.
2: moves. Pitbull's Cuban.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's got that too.
3: He's got that guy. He's that's also a, that's more of like thing. a pop star, not really a rapper, but
1: didn't he used to have dreads when he first came up?
3: No I way. I think he did. If we Google him, i'm that looking there. that up right now. I don't
1: think he was always bald, man. There was a rapper way back when, and I want to say they said it was Pitbull and he had dreads when he first started. Anyhow, Me. Eric, listen, man, we're not we're not oh talking about God,
2: this. dude. He does. Yeah, see. He's got that reggaeton, That's a reggaeton. That's that that's that uh, that's probably that influence. Right <laughs> Dude, this is incredible.
1: See, that's the kind of worthless knowledge I carry around in my head every day that allows me <laughs> to relate to anybody at the point of sale.
3: Yeah. Dude, I don't even know what he looks like. He almost looks like uh Malibu's Most mo- most Wanted mixed with Sean Paul. Okay. That's awesome.
1: That means absolutely nothing to me. Anyhow, Eric, listen, we got a lot to talk about. Um Why don't you start with telling everybody where you're, where you're from and kind of what you're doing now. And then we're going to dive in because there's a lot of meat.
2: Yeah, man. I am uh, from New Orleans, born and raised in the 504. Um, I love it here, man. Like it's, it's New Orleans is one of those cities. um, We we call it, we refer to it as the northernmost port in the Caribbean. So if you look (laughs) at New Orleans, if you look at New Orleans as an American city, you'll, you'll be uh, disappointed regularly because it's just, you know, it's, it's like a, kind of borderline third world country but if you look at it as the northernmost port of the Caribbean city you'll be uh, pleased at every turn. Um, I'll tell you what
1: man, I think New Orleans it, it's been a while since I've been there so I've not been there. I don't th- I mean it's been a really long time. I've, I don't think I've been to mm-hmm. New Orleans since Katrina. Like since pre-Katrina. Yeah. So I remember I remember going and I know some of this got affected when the storm hit but I remember going and just thinking about how what I mean Every city's kind of the same. You've got your bad parts, you've got your good parts, you got your history, and you've got your problems and all of that. But I thought it was really cool just to take the trolley ride through the Garden District street out car. there.
2: We have streetcars in New Orleans, man. Streetcars.
1: I call them trolley, streetcar, whatever. I took the uh, conveyance from the uh, you know Bourbon Street area or whatever down through the Garden District. Just the architecture and the landscaping of the homes and. All of that stuff I thought was really, really yeah. cool. New, or- New Orleans has had – it has some influence in Florida too. I mean I don't know if you've ever been to Key West or not, but uh, New Orleans has has some um, influence on the way Key West is set up too. So yeah, I've never
2: been to Key West. It. But but the thing about New Orleanians is when they leave New Orleans, they bring New Orleans with them. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing about New Orleans. I mean the culture, it, it, it kind of like gets inside of you. Uh, man, the food, the music, um, it's hot as hell. Yeah. Hurricanes suck, but, um,
1: not a bad food scene by any stretch. Oh man, no,
2: man. The food's great. So anyway, yeah. So I'm from new Orleans, but I am born to Cuban parents. So like I get the best of like maybe, um, maybe the best of the, the two best cultures, food cultures in the entire world. I know that that's, a uh, uh, a matter of opinion there, but, but man, I get New Orleans music, Cuban music, Cuban food, New Orleans food, and here I am. So my dad, my dad grew. I grew up in the insurance industry. My dad was a captive, still is actually. So I grew up in the industry here in New Orleans. And um, unlike most, probably early on, kind of the dream was I was always going to work with my dad and run his agency. I might be the only, well, probably not the only one, but a few of the agents who knew that they were going to be a, an agent person, an insurance person at a very young age. But man, when I was in college, um, I started shifting more to the financial side. Man, I started uh, had a couple experiences at the business school at Tulane uh, with a couple professors that I got really interested on the in the investment business. Um, long story short, ended up working with my dad, or actually I was a separate agent for a couple years, and we joined forces. And then in 04, um, I started handling all the life insurance and and investment. And then Katrina hit. And it kind of pulled me back into the pNC side, right for like nine solid months. It's just handling claims. I mean it was it was it was a nightmare, man. Um, and then kind of after coming out of that a little bit, I got back on the investment side. and then eventually in two thousand and eight I left the I left the insurance business completely in two thousand eight uh, went on the investment side. Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of um, more I would say more life insurance production and building out the investment business. And then in 2010, uh, the company, my dad represented, I mean, they, they had stopped writing post Katrina and he was starting to lose a lot of clients. And I had relationships with these people and they were walking out the door and I'm like, man, this is like, this is like dollars, you know, leaking out the door. I know these people, I know the insurance industry. And then my brother ended up moving back to new Orleans. And that's when we started the independent agent, uh, agency in 2010. So I kind of was like the business end. put all the contracts in place Well, my brother and my current business partner, Giovanni were just like the workhorses, man. They just wrote, sat at a desk and just wrote a ton of, of insurance. Um, cause we had, I mean, we had, you know, my dad was in the business for, I think we're going on 35, 40 years now. So he had a ton of just relationships with centers of influence. So we just wrote a ton of business early on. Um, and then my brother eventually left the business and that kind of made me have to get back involved a little bit more in the day-to-day in the operational side. And I'm almost at a point where, um, you know, we've touched about every process in the business and I'm moving less out of the operational side. I don't sell, I haven't sold the policy in, man, I don't know, probably like 10 plus years, probably. Um, I don't know. It's been, yeah, it's been forever, forever long, but just on the operational side, the processing side, strategy side, the vision side, that's kind of where, where I live in play. Um, in the in the agency side, but yeah, my the heart and soul of what I do is investment management and financial planning.
1: yeah, I mean, I think that that's good for your skill set and what I know about you, right? I mean, I think you could be a really good agent, but um producers don't necessarily reflect the level of detail in most cases that you reflect. So you're kind of a fish out of water. Like we we like to just frickin' run and gun, and I know you're a detail guy. So you know, it's, you can it's probably funny. take a bunch, you could probably take a bunch of business from me, um, just by paying attention to details. But it, it's interesting. I think you I think you're you're doing the right thing, man, where you're at.
2: But you got to be passionate about what you do. And like, uh, I mean, the insurance doesn't get me revved up. I like I like business. I like entrepreneurship. I like building businesses. That that's fun. That gets me excited doing insurance doesn't excite me. Um, to me, and I think I heard you, um, saying one of your podcasts, you're, you're an opportunist, right? If there's an opportunity, you're going to stop and say, Hey, wait a minute. Is there an opportunity here for me to make money? I, I own an independent insurance agency because, Hey, there was an opportunity. Um, I'm really good at, at networking. I'm really good at building relationships. I'm really good at vision and strategy. And this was an opportunity that I knew I could have success in and you know as as a financial planner you know when i when i sit back and look at you know when i look at my finances or i look at my long term financial plan you know i look at not the agency as i'm an independent insurance agency owner i look at it as hey i've got a i've got a a large investment a large part of my net worth is in this private business which happens to be an insurance agency and i know that i can grow it and at some point in the future this asset that i'm growing is going to be the seed money if you will to help fund retirement income or not even retirement like i'm not even like talking about retirement because to me like retirement we need to rethink how we talk about retirement in this country um it's just you know, do what you want to do and not have to worry about getting paid for it right you're still engaging in work and i just i'm not in the grind man i don't have to I don't see,
1: yeah, I don't see that I'll ever retire. I just think I'll go on a real long vacation and not come back from it.
2: But but maybe, like, maybe like, you know, like there's like 10 like here here's what I see you doing. Like you're like there's 10 agencies that are really agency owners that I really like. I like hanging out with them and I like traveling. And I'm gonna fly them into Key West once a year and I'm gonna consult them. You know, they're gonna come in, they're gonna ask me questions, I'm gonna give them answers. I enjoy it, it's fun. I don't care if I make a few bucks because, you know, you've been wise and you've planned for your income, right? You're still engaged. You're still, you're still using your mind, but you're, it's just the grind, man. It's the, the, you know, I need to wake up every morning. I got three kids. I've got a mortgage. I need to wake up every morning. I need to keep generating revenue. I need to keep growing my income. Um, I can't, I can't stop. Right. So the idea is at some point, um, you know, and, and, something that, that I'm talking a lot more about, and I know we're going to get into is the end game. Like, Hey, what's the end game at what point can I say? And even, even as you have more success and you've probably experienced this, David, and anyone listening, who's been, who's been at it for, I would say like, let's say 10 years, right? You've built a business, you have, you have some staff, you've started to notice that you have more and more freedom, right? You don't have to show up before everyone else. You don't have to stay later than everyone else. You might not work weekends anymore. Um, you can, you have a little bit more freedom. You still have to show up. You still have to obviously operate and manage a business, but you have a little bit more freedom, um, and that's that end game. Is man, you don't have to the, is getting out of that grind, the rat race, this the, the the pressure of having to show up every day. Is yeah, I think I think part of that too is
1: the the expectation is set for other people that you're not going to be available twenty four seven at their beck and call, you know, and not that you wouldn't be, but not that you would be, you wouldn't be available for normal routine things that people tend to steal your time for. Right. To me, that's where the pressure comes from, right? Right now, if I take any time off and one of my clients has an issue, um, guess who they call, you know, regardless of where I'm at, guess who they email, even though I ask that they, go to an account manager or someone else, it's always going to be my phone. And I think that once you get to that season of your career, even if you do stay engaged, a lot of the pressure gets relieved because the expectation of other people isn't that you're always the one that they have to deal with at that point.
2: Yeah, for me, the, the pressure on the, on the insurance side, it's not so much the client comments. I mean, I don't think there's any client other than like personal friends or family uh, will will call me, and every time like I get the, the email or the text, it's like, oh, why are you asking me this? Don't get me involved, um, right? It's like, hey, we need to change a car out. I'm like, why are you calling me? You know I have a staff. Don't call me. You just got me involved, and, and now I'm like responsible, like because I'm the type of person. If you if you if you put something on my plate to do, then like I have to make sure it gets done. Like I, I can't right. rest, even if I even if I delegate it to someone else, because I feel responsible for it. So the pressure for me on the PNC side it's not clients tracking me down or clients calling me. It's, you know, first of all, my name is on the business. So there's a, there's a sense of like excellency. Like I, I I don't want things to be done half ass and I want to make sure that they're done right. I want to make sure that my producers are calling people back. I want to make sure that endorsements are getting done. So for me, it's more of a systems and a process standpoint of like, Hey, are y'all, are we doing things correctly? Um, I don't, the, the worst is when a client leaves and you find out that they left because we haven't talked to them in two years. I'm like, well, I don't mm-hmm. blame them for leaving. I'd leave too, right? Um, so that, that's the pressure for me is, is just knowing that I have ownership. A large part of my you know, long-term you know, finances is tied up in the, in the business. I want it done right. I want it done uh, with, with, with a high level of, of excellency. Um, and I just want people to be treated well Early on, in my financial planning career, I worked with a business coach, and he would always talk about um, creating experiences so that people would talk about you behind your back positively. He goes, "Those are the type of those are the type of clients and centers of influence that you want. So make sure you're investing in those people, so they're talking positively about your back behind your back, right? Not just in front of you. Like, hey, this is my friend David. Oh, he's really good at what he does. Like, I want." Uh, I want those people who I, I'm not there and they're like, oh, man, my financial advisor, Eric, like the dude's baller, man. He's like he's he's on he's on the, he's on the ball. Like, he just called me up just to check in on my accounts. And, man, when the market dropped, they, they made some moves for me and, and it really protected me from the downside. And I, I can sleep at night, even though it's 2020 and who the hell knows what's going to happen next. Seriously? Um, you know, that's what I want. That That's what I'm working for that that's kind of what I wake up. That's the experience that I'm looking to deliver um, to people. So the burden for me is on the property and casualty side, which is such a high maintenance, high volume, especially our operation. Um it's just it's just the constant man. There's like, you know, all these policies renewing. Are we doing it right? We have all these leads coming in. Are we calling them back fast enough? Like why haven't we called this person? And um that, that, is it that's it mostly personal line? lines. Yeah, you know, our agency has traditionally been personal lines. However, um, my business partner, Giovanni, has just been crushing the commercial lately. Like, he's probably, our our main commercial producer left earlier this year, and Gio stepped in. And I think he's probably, I don't know, written over, you know, 50% more commercial of what we had on the books standing. There you go. So we, we have, we have really good relationships with accountants. Uh, Like on the financial side, I've got really good relationships with, with certain CPAs. Um, We have a couple of uh, particularly Hispanic accountants. Mm -hmm. And I can speak, I can speak their language, not Spanish, but like the the financial (laughs) language. Um, So we You read my
1: mind, man. I was going to ask you if you were.
2: (laughs) I'm trilingual. you know we have we have an office like a satellite office in an accountant's in an accountant's office mm, okay so we we have been getting there's probably we have probably about five or six really good relationships with with accountants so we're starting to get um a lot of their um i, I would say i would say if there's a, a niche that we're in it's hispanic contractors um, gotcha so we're starting to we're starting to grow um we're starting to grow in fact that was the one that geo had you had you had talked to to geo on david and and kind of give him, gave him a little bit of advice on that one still working on that one that might be a uh you know a twelve month runway i think overall it's a you know two hundred thousand dollar case i mean that that's a that's an enormous case for us um so nice so that's, talk a
1: to, that's a good case for anybody man yeah <laughs> i don't care who you are
3: for yeah, i'll take it so I, saw, I saw some of the stuff you sent over and you talked about the financial piece. Let's talk about that yeah. for a second. What's, what's the budget course? What how did that come about? You know, why? Who's it for? What's the deal?
1: Yeah, yeah I think but- one thing real quick. Let me let me set the table a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I asked Eric to be on here based on a very specific conversation he and I had regarding how agents and specifically agency owners approach their net worth and how they manage their assets. And, um, I'm not surprised to find out that I'm in the majority or at least a large number who have a hundred percent of our net worth tied up in our agencies right now. Uh, that's, that's my retirement yeah. plan. I mean, if you want to talk about going all in, I'm all in man, I either make it or I don't. And so when people wonder why I'm as intense as what I am, Now, you know, my entire legacy depends on me succeeding. And if I'm going to bet on anybody in the world, I'm going to bet on myself, obviously. But, you know, I also think that that leads to some problems. And, you know, we had talked about that. So I just wanted everybody who wondered where we were going with this conversation as we start diving into this to realize if you were wondering if you needed to hear this, chances are you probably do.
2: Yeah, here's here's funny. You talk about having 100% of your net worth in your business. And if you're going to bet on anyone, you're going to bet on yourself. Here's a fascinating thing about risk, okay? So a lot of, I mean, in the insurance world, right, we're managing risk. And the, on the financial side, um, you know, the biggest risk that I have to manage is stock market risk, right? If you're investing in the stock market, and, and there's different types of risk. You know, you have individual company risk in the stock market. You have, you have just kind of the, the systemic risk of the stock market in general, the financial systems. There's inflation risk, uh, you know, the risk of the, the dollar losing value, and all these things we have to manage, okay? Um, but the thing about risk is everyone's, everyone's level of, of comfort with risk is different. All right. And the, what makes someone comfortable with one risk and someone less comfortable with another risk typically has to do with how much they know and understand about that risk. Right. You you bet on yourself because you understand what you do better than anybody. If I didn't know anything about insurance, I'd say, "Man, that guy's crazy. He's got 100 of all of his eggs in one basket. He's got no diversification. There's no way I would have all my eggs in one basket." But you get it. I had a no lie. I had a conversation with a um um a commercial fisherman. This was probably like a year or two after the BP oil spill. I don't even remember what year that was. Maybe like in what 2011? 10, 11. It's
1: been 10 years, man. 10 I think years. we just had the 10 year anniversary of it.
2: So it might've been like 2010 or or 2009. So I'm meeting with this guy, commercial fisherman. Okay. And we're talking about a retirement account. He was referred to me by an accountant and we're talking about the stock market. And he's like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to touch the stock market too much risk. I said, okay, what about it? He's like, man, I I don't want to, you know, 2008, everyone lost money too much risk. I said, okay, cool. Um, You're a commercial fisherman. Yeah. Yeah. I said, all right, you have hundred thousand dollars. All right. You can invest it in a brand new commercial fishing fleet in Southeast Louisiana. Or we can invest it in a well-diversified investment portfolio. And I might've showed him a a proposal or something. I said, which one are you more comfortable with? Man, he didn't hesitate. He said, man, a commercial fishing fleet. I said, okay, cool. Tell me what are the obstacles or what are the challenges or what are the risks that as a commercial fisherman you face in Southeast Louisiana? And he kind of looked at me, I said, "Right, a storm can come through. right? One storm could could totally impact the the breeding patterns of of the fish that you're fishing. It could totally you know crush their their habitat. right? Now they're spawning out in 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 Houston or in Galveston or in Texas, and they're not they're not coming to our marshes or an oil spill. man, that that could that could crush your business. And the point that I was driving home was, and I showed him a chart of the history of the stock market. From a risk standpoint, there is way more risk in a commercial fishing operation than there is in the stock market. But he knew it; he was comfortable with it. And that's typical of business owners. We're comfortable with what we know. We know our businesses, and as a result, we tend to be um, we tend to have a, a a high concentration investment in one business. And we all know we should diversify. We all know we shouldn't have our eggs in one basket, but it's my business. I know it. So we, we, we look at that risk differently. Uh, so the conversation I had, real estate, real estate people are, are, and I had to learn early in my career. And and I probably, I, I failed many times trying to talk to real estate people about investments because typically real estate investors, real estate's the only way to invest. There's nothing else worth investing in. Um, and, uh, I'm like, really? Like, so you have all your real estate in new Orleans and then like a storm comes through and then, and then what, right? Like, where's the diversification there, right? You have no one renting from you. Like what's up? That's, that's kind of risky, but they know it, they understand it and they're comfortable with it. That's how risk works. So anyway, I, I, I digress.
1: No, I agree, man. I think, you know, I'm at a point now where I can start in the next 12 months, basically, I'm going to start not being 100% invested in the agency. I'm going to I'm gonna try and diversify as much as I can, whether that be, I don't know, I'm just give you the money and tell you to do whatever you need to do with it, honestly. But um, I need to get there. I mean, there's other vehicles that I need to have in place and make sure that everything in my portfolio is working the way that it's supposed to with each other and make sure that you know, all of our life insurance and everything is the way that it needs to be for the kids. And I mean, I don't want to sound morbid, but at the same time, I also don't want to bust my can for a number of years to build a sizable (laughs) asset and then not have anything to show for it other than that asset when I'm done. Right. I mean, look, I think I read a lot of Tom Stanley stuff. You and I have talked about it before. I'm very well versed in the difference between being income statement rich and balance sheet rich, okay? I use that example all the time. And so I would tell you, I'm probably in the same boat that a lot of agency owners that you would talk to are in, in that I am not nearly as wealthy income statement rich right now as I am balance sheet rich. I'm okay with that because I understand that I have an asset there, but- 2021 after the butt whipping we're taking in 2020 is Mm going to be the year that I start, you know, moving some money over to play a little bit and, and have, you know, and also invest for the future because I know the day's coming where there will be an exit for me at my agency. Yeah. It's just going to happen.
2: And that's the thing is business owners. If we haven't stopped to think about what that exit is, and I'm calling it the end game. If we haven't stopped to say, Hey, what's my end game? What am I building towards? Then we're just, then we're, 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 we're maybe, maybe we're making money, but to what end? Right. What, what's the point of it? So I, man, I encourage any business owner, particularly agency owners say, Hey, what are you trying to build? Right. So a lot of people are like, Hey, I just want to get big. I, w- I want to grow. Well, why do you want to grow? Well, I want to make more money. Well, the reality is you don't have to be big to be profitable, right? Be big. If you like running an organization, be big, if you like managing operations, um, But if all that stresses you out, it creates anxiety, you can be profitable and be small. Um, I, I tell people all the
1: time, man, you can make a lot of money as a small business. You can make a lot of money as a big business. But getting in between them is some of the most brutal years of your life. Yeah. And you know, you have to look at whether or not it makes sense for you to scale. Sometimes we make the decision that we want to scale because of our ego or to keep up. We're we're competitive by nature as producers. Most of us have that edge to us that we're competitive and we want to keep up with the other people that we see who have big agencies or whatever else. I I checked that at the door when I opened Florida Risk. I really don't care. All I want to do is build the asset, have something to show for it when I'm done. And be able to enjoy my life while I'm young enough to enjoy it, and not work till I'm seventy or seventy five, and then be like, now what?
2: Yeah, but th- but those are the messages though. Those are the, if you listen to like, you know, podcasts on entrepreneurship and podcasts on business, and I'm not knocking any of this because it, it it everything is so dependent on the individual and what they're trying to do. But like the messages we get is, hey, bigger is better, bigger revenue is better. Uh, those are the messages we get. And then and, and we, we, we fall into that cycle. Like, I got to grow. I got to, even on in the investment side, man, when you start looking at like metrics and you start looking at companies reporting and what Wall Street's looking for, it's year over year sales, you know, store over store. Like, did they, did they grow? You know, we have a target growth of 10% year over year for individual stores. And like, man, at what point, like, do you stop and say, man, maybe, maybe the goal isn't just to grow, just to grow, to grow, to grow, but maybe we start looking at how can we become more profitable? Um, how can I stay like, man, for me, the thing that stresses me out on the insurance side is adding staff. Like when I, when you add staff and I'll look, I love people. Um, but when you add staff, you add levels of layers of just headache. Um, and not because people, people do, do the wrong thing, but you, you have to manage somebody else. So to me, growth is like, Oh my gosh, if i have to hire more people that means i have to do this and more computers and more cost and and this and and there's more you know more people I have to be responsible for so i'm always asking myself man can we leverage technology better before i have to hire somebody else like what 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 can i do before i have to hire another another person and um, add that cost to or that headache of having having more staff so for me my my growth is not necessarily on the insurance side from in terms of growing that asset it's not necessarily bigger is better Um, for me, it's, it's profitable. I want to become more effective, more efficient. Um, I'd rather pay who I have more money because they're more efficient and they're more productive than add too many people. But at the same rate, you know, we spent a lot of time building systems and we've, we've, we're at a point where I'm pretty confident that we can scale pretty quickly, um, because we have systems in place and we can plug and play people into different roles. Uh, we, I mean, we spent a lot of time, um, building that out. And again, that, that, that's what I bring to the table. That's my strength is like, I can stop and say, okay, what's the problem? What do we need to do to fix it? You know, early in my career, someone told me, if you have a problem, create a process and it's no longer a problem. Yeah. You pretty much,
1: pretty much just stole what I was going to say, honestly, because if you have, uh, you know, the, the trick to, to scaling is really pretty simple. Have, have processes and procedures in place. Number one And number two, make sure that the staff you have is cross-trained on one, more than one role. In your organization, so that they can cover, you know, if somebody's out or you Mm -hmm. run thin while you're waiting for somebody to get up to speed. If you can slow down to do those two things, it is so much easier to scale. I think agencies, by and large, just get caught up in the fact that it is easy to grow revenue relatively quickly if you're a good salesperson, but that doesn't mean anything about your profitability or your processes. Because I'm one of them, man. I can tell you right now, I could sell ketchup popsicles to an Eskimo wearing white gloves. But if you want me to go in and write process and procedure manuals for an agency on how it's supposed to run the right way and how a CSR is supposed to most effectively do their job and all of that, I'm out. I will fail miserably at that because it's not my skill set. But I know that it's not my skill set. and I understand I have to surround myself with people who are stronger at that than what I am and systems that can help make sure that it bolsters those processes and streamlines them. I just think that, you know, again, we get caught up in being competitive and trying to scale as quickly as we can for no other reason than scaling's sake so that we can keep up with other people. And we end up scaling at a time when we shouldn't. I'm guilty of it, man. Yeah, I,
3: th- those
2: I've are those actually messages. cut
1: staff. I've cut staff in the last six months that I'm not going to replace yeah. because I need to focus on profitability and processes right now. And it's yeah. a perfect time for me to do it.
2: Yeah, man, and and that's the thing and that's that's where we have to stop as business owners as agency owners and say, "Hey, what am I building here?" Right? Maybe maybe you're not doing anything wrong. I'm not suggesting you need to not grow because I'm I'm a big fan of growth, but like you got to have to have the stomach for it, right? What do you what are you trying to build? In fact, when I do um, when I have conversations with people, um, this is actually an exercise that I would do. And I think you talk about this in your book about having like an advisory board or like a a, a team of advisors. So Years and years and years ago, me and um, actually my co-host on the, the Building Us podcast, we'll get to that a little bit later, him and then another good friend of ours, who's another business owner, we would get together, um, probably I would say dating back maybe 10 years, 10, 9 or 10 years from now, we'd get together every year, I'd put together a business plan or like a questionnaire, and we would work on our business plan, and then we would have one morning, kind of usually in December, and we would present our business plan to each other. And we would ask each other questions we'd run ideas by each other and we kind of became um you know we called it shark tank we had fun with it right and it, it just kind of became like a, a little small advisory board and I remember you you, you brought up the ebook I remember years ago kind of one of my one of my objectives for for one year was hey uh, i want to write i want to write an ebook and this is what I want to write it on um, and what what I would do is I would have a a blank piece of of Card stock, white card stock. And I would have a Sharpie. And each of us would write three big, I would say, overarching goals, like three big things that we wanted to accomplish that year. So mine typically was I want to write an ebook or I want to hit a certain revenue number at the agency. Um, and I want to have, you know, I want to add so many new dollars, investment dollars to my practice. Now, I didn't say how I was going to get there, but those were just like the overarching goals. Um, from a goal setting standpoint, I'm not someone who is constantly looking at, at a goal and measuring kind of my progress towards a big goal. I kind of think about it, I write it down and then I kind of put it away and then I go to work and recognize that, Hey, there's certain behaviors. If I do these things consistently, then, um, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the goal. Um, and that's kind of how I approach goal setting. Um, but yeah, so we'd get together, we, you know, we'd we'd have our advisory board, we check in quarterly, We're not as, we're not as, um, uh, as, as, uh, consistent now with it, but early on as we're building our practices and and adding and growing in different areas, you know, something that was highly valuable. Talk
1: a little bit about the budgeting stuff and all of that that you had sent over. Um, you know, it's interesting. I taught financial peace for a number of years, probably 15 Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with everything that Ramsey says. In fact, there's a lot of it I don't agree with at this point in my life. But um, the one thing I do agree with is that everybody should have a budget. And it blows my mind because I, I look at the people that get into killing commercial. And one of the first things that we do or the first thing that I require of every agency and every producer from that agency that gets in is they have to write a business plan. Mm -hmm. Like I need to know that guys, you know, how do I know how your agency is set up? How do I know how it runs? You have to show me where you're at. You have to show me where you want to be. And I want to see how you connect the dots of how you're going to get there. And, you know, I get pushback for that, you know, because, well, we've been in business for less long and well, you know, there's a reason why you reached out to me to get into the program. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you calling me? What's your problem? Yeah. yeah, You're asking me for my advice and I'm giving it to you. If you don't want to hear it, then why did you sign up to be here? You know, but you know, the other, and the other reason for it is uh, there, there's really two reasons. Number one, I want the producers to think about a business plan instead of just giving me a goal, right? I have my producers do business plans every year. They're, they're supposed mm-hmm. to do a business plan and turn it into me, start at the end, work back to the beginning. I don't know, want to know what you're going to do. I want to know how you're going to do what you tell me you're going to achieve because at the end of the day, I now have a much better chance of holding them accountable to the numbers because they're their numbers. They're not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, Budgets are no different, man. I mean, money is inanimate. Money has no emotion, nothing. It does what you tell it to do. And if if you don't take the time to tell your money where you want it to go, by the time you get to the end of the month, you're going to wonder where it went. Yeah. That's just so basic and yet nobody does it.
2: It's pillar number one in my uh, guide to managing your money wisely right there. It's know where your money is and where it's going. And the second one is plan where you want it to go. So budgeting, you know, typically most financial advisors aren't getting involved in budgeting. I mean, budgeting is, is, is it's meticulous, man. It's, it, it can be super detail oriented, but I, I figured out early on that like people are coming to me they want to invest for retirement, but they got no money, man. They got no free cash. They got no discretionary money to save for retirement because they're, because as Americans, we we overspend, we're in debt. So um I start to realize like, man, like I gotta, I gotta help people. And I'm not talking about like, you know, poor people, man. You go read, you talk about Tom Stanley, you go read his stuff. Um what like like sixty nine or seventy percent of millionaires still budget, right? Uh, that's why they're millionaires. I mean, if I hate if to you want give to be everybody, successful, go budget.
1: Yeah, I hate to give everybody a newsflash, but if you want to be a millionaire, go read The Millionaire Next Door or The Millionaire Mind or Stop Pretending You're Rich and Live Like a Real Millionaire. It's basic. Stanley figured out the Dave Ramsey formula, right? He wrote the same book three different times. He just talked about it in different ways. Every book Ramsey has written is the same stuff. He just packages it differently and sells millions of copies of it as a result. But it's not a secret, man. These people have money because they know what to do with their money.
2: Yeah, so put it. I want you to put in the show notes. I'm gonna send you the link. I actually interviewed on my podcast his daughter. Uh, she wrote the Next Millionaire Next Door. Um, so she picked up on his research after he passed away. They were actually working on this book. Um, but you look at you look at characteristics of of what made of what millionaires claim to to have made them successful. And here's the thing: like I think like eighty. I think the stat is in 2017, eighty percent of millionaires were first generation. So it wasn't that they inherited their money and became millionaires. It's they worked mm-hmm. for it. Um, but they talk about frugality and they talk about budgeting. Um, so yeah, the budgeting was something that, um, I, I, I realized I needed to talk to people about it. It's kind of one of those hard things where, um, to get involved with people's budgeting, it's, it's really, it's really difficult. I mean, it's time consuming, man. It's a lot of people work. don't want to talk about it. Like people
3: hear, people hear budget and they're like, oh man, now I'm not going to get to have any fun. Do you know why? Cause it
0: sucks.
2: Cause it sucks. Yeah, because right. traditional <laughs> budgeting sucks. Now I'm gonna say budgeting yeah. doesn't suck. Traditional budgeting sucks. Sitting down with a spreadsheet sucks. And mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I didn't do Financial Peace University, but I read, you know, I've got all most of Dave Ramsey's books on my my shelf, and I like a lot of what he says. But let me tell you, man, like traditional budgeting sucks. So then I tried someone else, and then I tried someone else's, and it's all the same. And I'm like, this doesn't work for me. That's not my personality. Dave, you talk about me being detail-oriented. I'm kind of detail-oriented in certain things. But my mind, my mind doesn't work like that. I can't sit down and like track like, like every single dime that I spent. So I kind of just started doing something that worked for me. Um, I might have read something somewhere. I don't know. But I literally um, started doing something. And my wife read an article one day. And, uh, she says, um, she goes, Hey, this is what, this is how we, this is how we kind of, this is kind of what we do with our money. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it really is. Like there's something, there's something to this. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I realized, man, this, this, this works for me. Um, it works for me. It's probably going to work for other people. So I started earlier this year, I started kind of writing out like a little, like a little budget curriculum. So I'm in the middle of it. It's not, it's not live yet. Um, but it's going to be kind of like a little standalone, ah uh, the 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 dream is or the idea is it's gonna be like a, a digital course that that anyone can take. It's gonna lay mm-hmm. it out um, for for people that they can follow it. but um it's something that I realized early on that, man, the managing your money is so important. Like we could talk about right. retirement all day long, but if you're overspending, it, it's it's a it's a moot conversation, yeah, absolutely. I think
3: it's easy right now. I mean, I find myself, You know, me and my wife would get on Amazon and we, I mean, we're buying shit left and right just because we're sitting at home and we're like, oh, you know what we need is we need this because you need that, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like we're sitting here and and, I mean, you kind of fall into this trap of it. And I mean, some of the stuff, of course you do need, but then some of it's just like, okay, you get it and you're just like,
2: "Mm." but that's the thing. Like, so, so you go to Amazon, like, so i look at my credit card statements, like Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. I'm like, what the hell did we buy? (laughs) Yeah. Are these groceries? Are right. See, toiletries? that's the problem Is this food? because it's,
3: because yeah, because it's a mix. It's like, I mean, cause Amazon has everything. So some of it is toiletry stuff, but then some of it's like, you know, bullshit. That's like, like S- a hat that you can drink crap, yeah. beer out of. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, do you really I, you I'm, really have I'm, I'm with them? you on that.
2: Do you have one of those? <laughs> no, no. So it was what, just the, the, the first thing that came to mind because I'm wearing that. a hat. Yeah. The way I handled that, and this was years ago. And this is kind of what I stumbled upon. I'm like, man, like, I'm not going to sit here and like, go through receipts and highlight what's groceries and what's, I don't know, a TV or this or that. So like, this is how we're spending X at target. I wonder if next month we can just cut it by 10%. Okay. And -hmm. then just be more conscious of when we shop. All right, cool. We did it. All right. Maybe, maybe the next month we can cut it by another 10%. Um, and then just kind of worked it that way. Um, that's kind of how I approached it. You know, it's, it's a little bit less, less detailed and, um, and meticulous. But the idea of budgeting Um, the, the reason why people should want to budget, the reason why people should love budgeting is because it's going to free you up to do what you really want to do. So the uh, real, real, real basic, the idea is fund the things that are important first, right? So you got a house payment. You got to pay that, right? You have debt. You got to pay that. Um, uh, what are those fixed things that you can't change? Fund those first, um, and literally separate those things from your other expenses. And then, yeah. um, as you have extra money, then you can do the, the, you can fund those things that are not necessary. And that's kind of like the the general idea. So it's not necessarily sitting down with a spreadsheet, writing down every, every transaction. Um, right. It's, it's becoming conscious of how you're spending your money, becoming aware of how you're spending your money. Notice the areas where you're overspending and then allocate the money where you know you need to spend and then fund those things that are important to you. And then so that's a pretty good piece
3: of advice. I I mean, I totally agree with that. You got to start with those big rocks that you can't, you know, you can't get rid of and then, and then go from there. What would be like, I don't know, without giving away your entire course or all of your secret sauce, what's like another tip that you could offer up to people who are trying to sit down and figure out either a how to budget or if they want to, or, they're kind yeah, of at, so, at square one, I guess.
2: Yeah, I, I would say a big a big thing. I'm a big believer in physically separating money that have that have separate purposes. Right, trying to I think spending kind of having one account can become very complicated for people. Um, so it's I'm, funny uh,
1: you say that, man, because one of the things. So you don't know this about me, but I actually was a mommy blogger for a number of years that was hidden, and we taught budgeting and all of that stuff is part of that process. And I always told people there were two things they needed to do, several things they needed to do. Number one, they needed to have a budget, overall monthly budget. So I drew up a a spreadsheet that I would send out to everybody who came through our program that was essentially an electronic budget in an Excel spreadsheet that they would have the ability to plug in their income, all their bills. And if they had anything more than zero left at the end of the month, they had to go back and or, or less than zero. Figure out you know where the issues were, but we wanted them planning for everything like you know clothing expenses, furniture in the future, car car repair, all of that. And then I wrote a second spreadsheet that was uh, the paycheck allocation. So if you got paid twice a month or weekly or whatever else, you were not only you not only had your regular monthly budget that you made sure was balanced, but now you were allocating what money from which paycheck was going to each of those different things. That you had budgeted for. And one of the things that I was a huge advocate of, and you can tell me if you agree with this or disagree, I don't, I don't teach it anymore. So it's kind of irrelevant. But I was a big advocate of having a um, regular operating account, having a Mm -hmm. savings account for your emergency fund and that but I also had Um, a money market that I just basically used as an accrual account for those expenses that I knew I could have in the future, but wasn't going to have to have right now. I wanted to be able to make a little bit of money on that and hold it someplace. And I actually kept a ledger book of how much was in there, which sub accounts were in there and what dollars were in each of those sub accounts. So I knew how to allocate all of that money inside of there.
2: A ledger book? You kept a ledger book. Wow.
1: I did, man. I kept a legit... Yeah, Ledger.
2: yeah so I li- I like to I like to split. yeah I like to split income I call it an operating account and then a uh, or a fixed expense account and then a variable expense account so like I want to know like what's coming out automatically um, it's not necessarily like absolute necessary expenses in my fixed account but things that happen regularly I don't have to think about them they hit my bank account they're once a month they're they're predictable and I know I need to have three thousand four hundred and seventy two dollars a month give or take in this account, um, (laughs) and then I have my variable account where that's where I'm paying my credit card. That's where I'm paying things that, that, that happen. Um, that they're not as predictable, right. I might go to the grocery six times this week, as opposed to two times this week. Um, you know, the, the things that are, are, are extra, um, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, that's, that's the hack is I'm a big fan of having separate accounts. You know, if you got a specific goal that you're saving for, right. Uh, we want to go, we want my daughter is dying to go to London when she's 15. That's like, I don't know, in her mind at 15, she gets a trip, uh, whether it happens <laughs> or not. I don't know, but we have a separate account, a separate savings account that we literally separate London from account. Money. It's it's the London account, man. Absolutely. So that, I, I would say Cal, that'd be another, another, um, another hack, but, but budgeting yeah, is all about, it's all about being intentional and purposeful, right? We, 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 we think about it sometimes in our agencies. I need to spend so much on my on my um AMS or my CRM or 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 my staff um but when it comes to the personal side we we, we don't we we get we get a little bit sloppier um but you got to you got to plan like you know what, what what again what's your end game you know do you want to walk away from your business or or maybe hire someone to run it um and you're not you know you're 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 walking away you're still owning it but you know you're going to be making less income. How are you going to replace that? Where is it going to come from? Um, so sp- spending time now to budget that and be purposeful and saying, "Hey, I need to have you know, half a million in cash or a million in cash set aside. So when I walk away, I have you know, 50,000 dollars of, of investment income coming into my bank account, and I'm not mm-hmm. even thinking about it. Uh, th- th- those, that's, that's the intentionality of budgeting. That's why people should love budgeting. So that's why I created this budgeting course. I don't want, like, honestly, I don't want to spend all my client-facing time talking about budgeting and and telling you where and how to spend your money. Like, I really don't care. Like, if if using a spreadsheet works for you, man, I'm thrilled. Um, I don't think there's any right way to budget. Um, in fact, I you know I tell people like if my way doesn't work, don't do it. Do it works for you, but you have to do something. Um, you know, my my objective is to make sure that you're meeting uh, your your goal that you set out that you're, you're changing, you know, you talk about Stanley, um, David, you know, big thing that they talk about are behaviors, right? There are certain behaviors that, uh, that we need to be doing to become successful financially. So like my focus as an advisor, I would say it's probably something that's a little bit more unique to me as an advisor. You're not going to get this with, with all financial advisors is early on, um, the behavioral finance, the behavioral part of, of money management, probably because I hang out with counselors um, all the time. So I, I, I kind of start to understand counseling a little bit better by just hanging out with them. So I started to understand this idea of behaviors and money management is all about behaviors is we need to develop the healthy behaviors that are going to get us to where we need to go. I, a quick example, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, business owner, man, I haven't been able to get him to 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 invest in his Roth IRA in a couple of years, right? He's investing, he's he's reinvesting in his business. He's got a successful growing business. Finally got him on the phone. I'm like, all right, dude, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, you and your wife are going to put 50 bucks a month automatically send me your check. We're going to set it up. He's like, yeah, I can do that. I said, in three months, I'm going to call you back and I'm going to increase it to a hundred a month for each of you. He's like, yeah, I think I can do that. Um, because those are the, those little, those little consistent behaviors add up after 10 years, after 15 years, after 20 years. Um,
1: I think you know one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got um, early on was also. I, I would imagine it's the same whether it's your spouse or a business partner, assuming you have one. Um, you have to plan to have those conversations too, right? Like the worst thing in the world is my wife walking in and saying, "Hey, we need to talk about blah blah blah." I'm like, "Dude, not happening!" And if you're going to go down this road spontaneously, it is going to get real nasty real quick and so she she wants to always talk about it like right now let's get this over with let's be done with it and i've she's finally conditioned to the point where she realizes it's probably not the best idea same thing holds true with household projects if you have something you want me to do, give me a list. I'll work on it over the course of the week. Yeah. By the end of the week, everything will be done. But don't have me wake up on Saturday morning and say, hey, I need you to do this today. Sorry, you missed the planning window. I had already planned not to do that today. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> funny, it's funny you bring this up. We just recorded a podcast. Um, so I keep referring to the podcast. If you don't know Building Us, it's a podcast that I co-host with a, a couples counselor. So we just dropped an episode. I think it's going to be... Um, uh, published next week, or depending on when you hear this, it's probably already going to be published Um, on conversations to have with your spouse about money. So we talk about four different categories and questions that you can have um, just to kind of um, g- give you ideas on how to have these conversations about money. It's tough, man. I'm going to
1: assume you did not have a Louis Vuitton category of talking to your spouse about money. <laughs>
2: No, Louis Vuitton did not come up. um shoes did not come up. um boats did not come up, but it's just it's just questions, you know, um some of the questions are are kind of like you know counselor type questions, like you know what is it what is it that you fear most, right when it comes to money? I mean, th- those are important questions and and I don't you're think not that having, it. <laughs> not, well. Know, yeah, well, that's important to understand because then not having it, well that that says why you're never home and working all the time, right? from a from a counselor standpoint you know I'll leave that to Matt I don't get into that but like you start to understand and once you start to understand each other um th- th- there's some interesting stats on on like money in relationships so there's one that Matt likes to talk about we did it we we presented to a group of counselors once and the idea was we're going to talk about like the basics of money because it's such an important part when couples get together and it can become problematic so we we're going to kind of give them some basics on on money um that they could kind of decipher if maybe they needed to refer them out to a financial advisor or just those types of things. So Matt came across a stat that um, there is a high correlation for all the married people out there. There's a high correlation between money fights, right? Like how, how, like how, how healthy do you and your spouse talk and treat money um, to sex? So that's, there's a reason to budget right there. There's a, there's a reason to have that conversation, David, with your wife. We budget three page. times
1: a day at my house, <laughs> as much as possible. Listen, I want to. Um, I do want you to talk a little bit about the podcast. I mean, what you have been, you know, you you have been doing, but I do think it's a really good idea, right? Because to me, you guys have met the two components about financial health in a marriage that need to be met. You have a financial planner who's agnostic and objective in their view of your finances. And you have a counselor who can talk about the psychology behind it. I think Mm -hmm. everybody should listen to your podcast, you know, knowing that, you know, seriously, man, there's so much stuff that's at our fingertips these days. We just have to, a open it up and listen to it or read it and then B follow it. That's it. Like, Listen to the yeah. podcast, people. This guy's going to give you an open book on how to not fight with your significant other about money.
2: Period. We, yeah, we so we talk about like the 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 scope of the podcast. Really, we talk about relationships and money, obviously, um, but related to that is entrepreneurship. So we just dropped two episodes um, with with entrepreneurs and talked about building business. So this last one that I just dropped was fantastic. I listened back to it, and I'm like, man, this guy. This guy dropped some serious wisdom on, on work life balance. Like it's good stuff. Uh, so kind of our goal is we really want to we want I don't think anyone podcasts um, with the goal of, of providing bad information. But like you know, we really want to provide thoughtful um, information. If it's something that I wouldn't listen to, I don't want to publish it. And in fact, I was at a, a mastermind meeting three or four years ago, and I remember sitting uh, talking to to Joey Gengola about this, about this idea that I had. I wanted to do this podcast. And he's like, dude, just do it. Like, I just didn't feel, I felt like I was just gonna be more noise. Like, there's just so much stuff out there. I didn't want to be another voice. I didn't want to be more noise. Um, and then I, I guess COVID, COVID hit and I'm like, let's do this, man. We, we, we have we have something to say, Let, let's do it. And we, we kind of pulled the trigger on it. Um, it's kind of a, a result of, of sitting in my house without anything to do, really. <laughs> um, I mean, I have plenty to do.
1: I get it. I've basically redone my entire house.
2: I'm redoing my
1: house right now. That's why you guys have to keep telling me you can't hear me because I'm putting my mic on mute because I've got people banging around out on the porch and in the laundry room (laughs) and all of that. And I'm working from home today because I had to be here to supervise. Then I find out the reason why I had to be here to supervise is going to be the topic of my next money meeting with my wife and
3: Mm. why. (laughs) I hope that that goes well, David.
1: Yeah. Why specifically she had an 11 o'clock AM appointment at the Peloton store at international mall when we already own a Peloton. So if she thinks she's bringing some noise into this household about a treadmill, she's out of luck.
2: I know a really good couples counselor. (laughs) We have zero no.
1: issues, man. Zero issues with any of that. We we do really well. Communication lines are open. Uh, now that she understands that how direct I am, that it's probably better to hit me and let me be direct when I'm expecting the conversation, yeah. That as opposed to getting the direct answer when I'm not expecting the conversation. That's usually not as pleasant.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another thing, another thing that we're working on right now is. Um, and and again it'll it'll be it'll be live by the time this this <clears throat> publishes is the the agent end game so um really coming in and helping independent agency owners uh plan that end game what is that end game? how are you gonna get there uh managing those investments to help them get to the point that they want to get to nice
1: so talked a little bit about the um the end game the exit. Mm-hmm. How you specifically are, are, are positioning yourself to be known as the financial advisor to agents and agency owners across the country. Yeah.
2: So they- this is, it's kind of funny. So when I first when I first got into the business, one of my mentors, we I mean, we did a ton of, of business planning. So buy sell agreements, funding buy-sell agreements, just just key person insurance. So we, we talked a lot about exit strategy with business owners. Hey, you're building this business at some point you're going to have to hang it up. What do you, what's your plan? Um, that, that was kind of our, our lead. Um, so that, that's kind of part of the puzzle is having this, this background in doing a lot of, uh, business planning. Fast forward a little bit. Um, I start the independent agency and now I'm like thrust into this new world of understanding and learning a business, the ins and outs, how to operate it, how to market it, um, networking with, with, you know, everybody in the, in the industry. Um, and, um, to where I am now, I'm thinking, all right, you know, kind of listening to a lot of what you're talking about, about niche marketing. And I'm like, Hey, what's, what's my niche marketing. I'm looking at my book of business with my clients and, and there's some commonalities, but I'm like, man, what's, what, what do I know? What do I really know? I'm like, holy crap. And I listened to that episode with Bob Klinger. That episode, holy smokes! Go back and listen to that. is in the niches, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, this dude went to freaking school to become a dry cleaner, <laughs> right? To so yeah. better service clients, and then it occurred to me, I'm like, holy smokes! Like, I I own and operate an independent insurance agency. Like, I know this industry inside and out, and I know financial planning and investment management. Um, so to me, from from a niche standpoint, like. Man, this is a community that I can serve because I understand what it is. I understand the grind. I understand what it is to have. Hell, I'm in your, I'm in your shoes, man. Um, not 100 percent of my net worth is in my agency, but the majority, over 50% of my net worth is my agency. Um, so I understand the importance of making sure that that I get it right, that I'm growing this asset, that I'm protecting it so that at some point when I it has value when I sell it. You know, as, as I, as I do things in my agency, I'm asking myself the question, am I adding value? If I sell this, does this adding this component, does this add value to the sales price at some point in the future? Um, you know, all the way from making decisions on certain pieces of software that I pick, right? What's, what's going to be better for me to sell, um, if I use this versus that. Um, so that's kind of what, what, what drove it, honestly, listening to a lot of your stuff about, about the niches listening to what, what what Bob talked about and recognizing like holy smokes, man, this is a community of people that I, I know the I know the obstacles, I know the pain points. Um, I understand it. Um, and as a financial advisor, man I, I can I can serve this uh, this niche well.
1: Yeah, I would agree, man. I mean, you obviously have the relationships and the contacts that are there. And I mean, again, you also have the trust because people see how you conduct yourself. And we see that um, in a in an environment where your guard's down, right? It's not, mm-hmm. you're not selling other agents when you're hanging out with us, right? We were out in San Diego, sat around the fire, you know, smoking some fine cigars that you brought with you, having normal conversation. And that, those are the activities that will breed people willing to trust being willing to trust you with handling their money. It's not, hey, let me tell you what a great financial advisor I am and all the things I've done for my clients and the average return that I get on you know one, three, five, and 10 years or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I could care less about any of that. I'm going to assume you know that part of it. My real question anytime I'm talking to anybody, and I really think it's the same thing that our clients are expecting when they talk to us is, do I trust this person? Period. If you can't pass the trust test, the, the rest of it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, you know, you say you don't care about those things. The important thing is I care about them. Yeah, those are important to me as a, as a, as an investment guy. Like those things that you just said are are highly important to me. Um, again, because it goes back to, man. So so here's we we don't ship money off to like big investment to the big you know the the brand name investment companies. Um, you know that that that's a lot of how the industry. That's a lot of how the industry works, you know. I think personal finance is personal investment management is part of personal, uh, uh, um, is part of personal finance. So building portfolios that are consistent with a few things for you, you know, your risk tolerance, you know, how much, how much can you stomach, uh, your risk capacity, meaning, y- y- you know, like I, I tend to be a more conservative investor. I'm not, I'm not a highly aggressive person, but mm-hmm. I'm 40 and I have a long time to invest money. So I've got a much larger capacity for risk than my tolerance would say otherwise. So because of that, I take more risk in my investments. Sure. So, so we build portfolios based off of that. You know, we're looking at best in class, you know, we, we, in our investment team, we sit down and we're looking at, um, um, managers that have done well, uh, whether we're using an ETF or a mutual fund or what we call separately managed accounts. We can talk about that if you're interested later. Um, but then on the, on the flip side, if we're talking about non-retirement money, um, tax management is super important. Making sure that I mean, you're, yeah. you have high income, right? Then right. all of a sudden, if I'm buying and selling or hold a mutual fund that you have no control over capital gains, um, and then you get a sure. you get a ten ninety nine, and you have you know twenty thousand dollars of short term gains that's taxed as ordinary income, you're going to call me and be pissed. Yeah, absolutely. So th- those are all parts of from from the investment management side. So those are the things that matter to me. They might not matter to to David, but I, th- uh, I think
3: his point was he just assumes that yeah. you know all of those things, so he's not going to have to worry about them. You know, he he. he that, that's how I took it, at least. But yeah,
2: well, you know, uh, we assume a lot. I mean, there's 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 a lot of financial advisors out there, and um, true. Um, and yeah, I think I think sometimes, yeah, but but David's right. Like I think anything you know, hiring. I told someone this the other day. Uh, Cause we were talking about the investment space and there's different licenses that different people hold, you know, I'm a certified financial planner, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that you have to, that, you know, if you're not a certified financial planner, I don't think that means you're less than me. I don't think, you know, I'm not one of those people who says you can only work with a certified financial planner. I think you have to work with someone who's got character, who's got integrity and who knows their industry well. Um, sure. And if they're a certified financial planner, Hey, that's, that's a feather in the cap. Icing on the cake.
3: Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. What's, um, so you've been doing the podcast now since like the beginning of COVID, you said, what's like, what's been your biggest takeaway from that? Or what's one thing that you've learned or biggest surprise, something along those lines.
2: Oh, the biggest surprise. Um, good question. I, I would say maybe the thing that I've enjoyed most. Sure. Is, um, you know, we brought on some guests, um, and it's just fun to hear other people's stories. like I'm one of those people who I love learning from other people. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just I'll just be a sponge and I'll just listen to their stories uh, and, that's, and that's a lot of fun. But also what's been cool is um, and I've, I've been trying to be intentional with this with certain guests and when, when Matt brings on certain guests, it's always interesting because it's opening, it's opening me up to different markets and to different people. Um, so that's that's kind of been fun to see, um, to meet new people and then to think like, okay, well, this is, this is an influencer in their space. So right. man, I just reached, you know, however many people they're networked with potentially with, with the podcast. Um, so we yeah. have, we have a guest coming on sometime in September. Um, it's an associate of Matt's, but we also, they're bringing on a child psychologist as well. So, so this is, is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're gonna have a, a another, you know, it's gonna be three, two counselors, a child psychologist, and a financial planner. So what's exciting is, man, who, who, who do they influence? Who's listening to them? Who's following them? And then just in the course of one podcast, I just may open up my, my market to, I don't know how many people. Uh, so that, that's kind of something that that's exciting.
1: Well, listen, man, here's what I f- found out about all of this. We've been going for a little over an hour, so we need to wrap up. I really feel like you know we need to have like a series called the Garcia episodes or something like that because an hour is just not enough time.
2: We haven't even talked about food, man.
1: I know that's what's crazy. So you can take it to the bank. We'll run another episode when you're ready. But why don't you tell them in the meantime? I have a feeling a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you. Tell them where to find you. People, yeah. hold on. Out. Let me just oh, let ahead. me go ahead and do this go real ahead. quick.
2: Do what you're going to do, Dave.
1: I need everybody to stop what you're doing right now and go to YouTube and like Eric's Eric's Garcia Financial Services yeah, you, YouTube channel. Rag me.
2: Rag me. But, go, go, um, go, plan, plan wisely, Eric Garcia, E R I K. That's how you find it.
1: Yeah. And so what happens is, you know, Garcia figured out how much how competitive I am and how much of an edge I have. To me, when we were both hovering with a minimal number of YouTube subscribers, which, relatively speaking, we still have a relatively small number of YouTube subscribers. Both of us. I got up early one Saturday morning because, as a good, are you
3: in double digits yet?
1: Oh yeah, we're I'm over.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, I picked the uh, fight with the wrong guy. Ooh, man. Triple digits. There you go. So
1: funny man because. I pay attention to everything like a good salesperson should. So I knew he was going to be running a race on Saturday morning. That was intentional. I knew he was going to be running a race, and I set my alarm. I was up early on Saturday, and I created an actual movie trailer that I published through social media, asking people to go to Eric Garcia's uh, YouTube page and like it. And then, of course, that went back and forth. Now, what you don't know is I'm still sitting on – I'm still sitting on the atomic bomb. Like that wasn't that wasn't my best effort. I'm holding on to my best effort in case you ever go back again. So,
2: oh man. And what what we also don't know is David
1: catch up. You got to help him catch up because right now it's just not even close anymore.
2: David has 160 Gmail email addresses and logged in 160 times and just subscribed to his own channel. That's his secret sauce right there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but anyhow, tell them where to find you, man. Now that they've subscribed to your YouTube channel, they're going to find you there. But I want to make sure that anybody who has questions, wants to reach out to you, wants to just immediately say, I have $200 million of liquid assets that I'd like for you to manage for me. Any of I will
2: people. fire all my clients and work just for you. No, not really. But um, No, so so if you go to www.agentendgame.com, um, you can learn a little bit more about what, what we talked about here. Um and, and that that's a that's a landing page on my site. So you can navigate anywhere else on my site from there. You can find the the podcast and the media section. Um you can you can schedule me right on that page. So um that is the best place to find me. Agent Endgame.
1: All right, cool deal. Well, listen, man, always a pleasure. You say you like to listen to people talk and be a sponge and learn from them. I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with you that I haven't taken something away from it that i didn't know before so i appreciate the time that you spent with us today and i definitely look forward to uh, having you back on
2: yeah appreciate those kind words man kyle was good uh good meeting you face likewise man
3: i actually had a great time
1: yeah all right everybody we will see you you've been
0: listening to the power producers podcast You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you wanna take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.